Welcome to episode 5 of Art Brunch Archives. I'm the host of Art Brunch, Rick Bowling. Much of the show works well as audio only, but there are times when we're referencing images on the screen. Uh, we host these archives wherever you get your podcasts, as well as YouTube. Um, in the podcast description, I'll share the link to the YouTube video and vice versa. Lastly, before we learn about Drew, please take a moment to like and subscribe. If you want to watch these talks live with our community, uh, I've included the links to our Twitch in the description as well. Drew Nikonovich earned a BFA degree from the University of Missouri-Columbia in 2016. His work employs analog photographic processes as well as computer simulations to deal with exploration and experience in contemporary culture. He's exhibited both nationally and internationally. In 2015, he received the Aperture Portfolio Prize and the Lynn Scratch Student Prize. In 2017, Nikonovich completed a one-year residency at Fabrica Research Center. His first photo book, This World and Others Like It, was co-published co by Yaffe Press and FW Books in 2019. It was an awarded a juror's special mention at the 2019 Paris Photo Aperture Foundation Photo Book Awards. He now lives in the United States in St. Louis. He works in St. Louis as an artist and is the photography technician at the Sam Fox School of Design and Visual Arts at Washington University. Drew found us on Twitch and said he was interested in being a guest on Art Brunch. Uh, when we talked, we hit it off right away. Drew is a prolific maker, artist, and fellow Twitch streamer. Uh, check out in the description all the ways that you can connect with Drew. On a technical note, some of this video has poor syncing between audio and video. Actually, all of it is poorly synced. Um, that's an issue that we've solved after episode 7. Uh, we start this episode right after I asked Drew about his memories of his creativity as a child. Please look to the points of interest in the timeline in the description to aid your navigation and enjoy the show. Well, when you when you sort of mentioned this the other day and you talked about like what do you what's the first thing you remember drawing? Uh, yeah, that like scared me because the first thing I can remember drawing is guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I remember getting in trouble. They were like, "You can't draw guns." I was like, "I'm like 6, y'all." Like it, I just I like the idea of something that has a lot of accessories. I don't, mm. I don't know that it's necessarily that it needs to be a gun, but <clears throat> I think the thing that I think more about when like this kind of question comes up is uh, uh -huh. being like a like early early tens. I don't remember the age. I'm really bad with dates and numbers in this capacity, but um, I had my dad's point and shoot camera. Mm -hmm. And I like took some just like random pictures and there's one in particular that I didn't take, but uh, he took of me standing on top of a sand dune somewhere in, um, I want to say Michigan. Okay. And I'm like standing on top of this branch or whatever. And my head is like perfectly in the blue sky that's behind me. Mm. And I took it into Microsoft paint and I, cut my head off and I moved it over so it looked like I was headless and my head was floating like three feet to the right <laughs> yeah 
And I was like, so fired up by that. I was like, this is so cool. And I was like immediately embraced by the just like palatial limitations of Microsoft Paint. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was like, I need something more. And like for the longest time, there wasn't anything more. Mm. Um, just because I guess I didn't know that. I mean, I was a kid. I didn't know Photoshop existed. Right. It was a super inaccessible product, even if you did. Yeah. And At that point. Yeah. And like my computer probably wouldn't have been able to handle it anyways. Mm. But I remember that and like that very clearly leading to me begging my mom for my first camera. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I, I remember like these... I did a couple of them, but it feels like I did so many, but I think it's just because like when you first start making things in a way that's exciting to you, like it feels like you're doing so much more Hmm. before you Mm -hmm. get into like formalized art school. And it's like, by the way, you're doing like one tenth of what you ought to be doing. (laughs) Yeah. Not even the bare minimum. Yeah. It's like, Hey, um, it's, it's really cool that you did that one, but like, can you make 20 more next week? right before we hang for crit on friday it's like oh okay yeah i I think i can do that yeah so one of the things that's interesting is up until this point for the show we've had um like painters and people who in their uh so i think that there's like there's something special about you being very interested in photography that kind of like flips that question on the head like maybe maybe you got into photography because you couldn't draw guns right (laughs) like like maybe that was that was a good that was a good transition for you at an early age um but did you have it did you have a drawing practice have you and i don't know these things about you have you had other kinds of like uh um what are the other artistic practices that you've had throughout your life aside from photography or has that always kind of been the 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 top hierarchy in your work well i think until i found photography i like didn't know what i wanted to do and that sounds like i i lived my whole life and then i picked up a camera it was like i was still a kid but Mm. um before like getting that first little point and shoot camera that my mom got me um i don't know that i even really thought about art making i don't think i really Mm. thought about drawing or paint you know like I'm sure my mom in fact I know my mom has like that stuff that every parent has that you're just like please throw this away yeah <laughs> no one needs to see this um but like yeah, there's still a, a, a drawing of a fish on a magnet that I made <laughs> that's floating around ephemerally in my family members I, I must have been like six or something that's so um, good which is actually probably pretty cool pretty cool now what was that process like to, okay, so you wanted the the point-and-shoot camera, mm-hmm. and then, you know, what was that process like for you to, if you remember, um, to ask, uh, to, like, ask for that camera? Or do you, do you remember the, the excitement around, around that purchase? I, like... It was one of those things where I was I was at that age where you're like trying a lot of different things and your parents are kind of like, look, you need to just pick something because we can't keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And so like I had I had I was doing like drum lessons for a while before this and um, 
that kind of died because the guy that was teaching me quit or like le left the state. I don't actually know what happened. Oh. Um, okay. But I, he stopped being my drum teacher and I got this other guy and I just like didn't vibe with him at all. And so I kind of just went to my mom and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think my mom was like, okay. Cause like, she probably just was like, if he doesn't want to do it, I'm, I'm not going to spend the money. Like that's not really like a thing that I can just go around throwing money at, but yeah um it, yeah i um i i had to do con some convincing because i was like mm -hmm. you know i was at the whims and wills of my interests as they came and went because i was a kid and you know she was like if if we do that like you, you need to like be serious about this like you know i really don't want to get this for you and then just like turn around and see that you're just like never using it Mm. Um, and somehow I convinced them and we went to like Schiller's here in St. Louis and nice. I was just like, I was just like, I didn't know anything. I was like, I don't know. I want a camera. And my mom was just like, here's one, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, middle of the road, nothing too fancy, but, but nothing too cheap, just basic point and shoot camera. And, um, I ran away with it. Like I, wow. that was, so my birthday's in May. I got that for mm -hmm. Christmas. And by the time my birthday came around, like as, as a young kid, this felt like a big number. I had made like a couple thousand photographs on that mm. little point and shoot camera. And so I was like, I got to this point where I had learned a lot. I had taught myself all this stuff and I'd done all these things. And I was just like, I need something more. Like I, I had this energy. And so like, I somehow managed to convince them to get me like a DSLR for okay. my birthday five months later. Oh, wow. That's a really quick turnaround time. It was like, I, I don't know. I mean, it was one of those things where it just, it felt right in every way. And I just like absolutely felt completely in love with it. Just like super enamored by the prospect of like image making. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I think it was those little things leading up to it, you know, like Photoshopping or Microsoft painting my head off of my body. Like I sort of, it was almost like I had sort of fallen into this this universe of possibilities and I like I saw the potential to explore it like ad nauseum and I was like mm. I need to do this and mm. I do think to some extent I kind of have an obsessive personality and so like <laughs> I latch on really hard to certain things and like letting that go is very difficult for me and so I think that my mom just sort of thought okay I mean you're making a lot of pictures. You're clearly doing a lot. And like, I was posting them to this website that doesn't exist anymore. And so she got to look at what I was doing and yeah. she was like, this is extracurricular and you care. <laughs> yeah. I should foster this. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Chris Griffin, five two two. Welcome to the stream. Hello. Welcome. Um, and uh, yeah. So I can imagine, and I don't have, I don't have children of my own. Um, you don't have children of your own. No. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine it, it is, it is like a, a really difficult dance of like wanting to support the, your child, but also like recognizing their whimsical nature. Yeah. But then I also think about like the, you know, like her, you know, the, the decision-making process of actually getting you that first one and then seeing it blossom into uh this this practice in such a short amount of time 
um, it was probably like really, really encouraging experience, um, you know, for her to see as well. Yeah, I think she especially found it really exciting and was like happy for me to have found something because like this is also right around the time that like, um, like my parents were like starting to get divorced and there was, you know, like all mm. of that um, like tumultuousness happening. And so mm. for me to like, and that's probably part of why I latched onto it so hard is because it was like this thing that I could control. Mm. Um, and so like all of that wrapped in together, it was for her, I imagine to some capacity, just kind of like, this is like an outlet for him. And honestly, he probably needs that right now. <laughs> yeah. How, how old were you when this was going on generally? Oh God. Um, it was high school. I got my DSLR early high school like okay. freshman year probably so that's like 14 maybe yeah something like that okay i was, cool. I was like 13 yeah. 14 yeah that sounds right those are the the years of of like true turmoil i think yeah. like the beginning of like actually understanding what turmoil is and and, and life is kind of full of turmoil mm-hmm. um but i don't think that i think that um you know parents do you know, sometimes a good job at keeping the child away from turmoil. And then also I think that uh, the gravity of, of turmoil doesn't really settle into like the physical self, um, aside from like traumatic experiences. Um, but I think that for a lot of people, this like sense of dread or the sense of turmoil begins in a myriad of ways, kind of in that 12, 13, 14 range uh <laughs> yeah i think yeah. so too i think it's like you know everything's changing in every way mm-hmm. and it's just like what do you what do you do with all this like energy and all these things and these changes and it, i think that's also probably part of why like that's around the age that people start sort of being like my parents suck <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely um yeah so what were what were some of the um like subject matters that you began uh taking photographs of and in, in those in those formative in those formative spaces Oof. uh i mean so i was doing a lot of like at the time i was really excited by things like light painting and long exposures oh, yeah. and um i just thought they were so sick and i thought i was so cool that i could do it and like looking back on it you know you're kind of like oh that's cute kind of cringy kind of awkward but also like I, I i fully respect and um in some ways really try to cultivate that like excitement to just try things even mm-hmm. now but it was it was a lot of that kind of stuff i made a lot of like self-portraits because basically um i also saw myself as this like edgy kid which i really wasn't quite frankly um <laughs> and so i would like go out at night after like my mom went to sleep and I'd go over to like the the school that was near my house and I'd like make long exposures on the on the playground and stuff and Mm. like I there are some pictures that I still look at that I'm like these are these are cool they're well executed and I'm like I'm I'm I'm, you know I'm impressed that a teenager made this but um my partner likes to remind me of the titles of all of them because like I said, I was posting them to this website that doesn't exist anymore. It was like a photo bucket kind of vibe. It was called JPG mag and it it like used to be a magazine and then it wasn't. And then it was just a compendium for people making photographs. And then like, 
I recently went and looked and it's just gone. Cause like my pictures were still up there for the longest time. Yeah. And like, we would just randomly go and look at them. And all I would think is just like, God, these titles are so cringy. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, what would happen is like, there's this one image of me on uh, like one of those like carousel things that you sit on and like a bunch of people get on and spin it. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. and, I, and I made this picture of me on it and the camera's on the other side. And so like the background is just like bands of light. And it's like, you know, kind of teenager, kind of high school art, but it's also like kind of rad. I couldn't mm. tell you the title of that photo, but if my partner was here, she'd be like, it was this. And I would regret <laughs> bringing it up. <laughs> it's it's like a diary, you know, like some of, some of these... Uh some of these early technological, you know, social medias or expressions, um, I think occupy a similar space to what a diary would be. Yeah. Uh, like a journaling, a journaling practice. Um, and I think one of the reasons I don't have a strong journaling practice uh, is because I do not ever want to be confronted any more clearly with the cringe of my current life. <laughs> Um, cause it, it, it just keeps going. It, you know, it, it's kind of infinite, uh, infinite cringe. Um, yes and no. The, yeah. I don't know. You think you're out of your cringe stage? No, I mean, no, don't get me wrong. Like I'm sure in 10 <laughs> years I'll think about some things I did now and be like, what were you thinking? You fool. Mm, right. But I, also, but maybe what like, you were saying, yeah, I, I kind of, it's important. Yeah. I think like. Well, two things. I think, you know, I think it's useful to have that to think back and look back at. I mean, yeah. obviously, if it's sort of to a fault, then don't do it. But, like, I think about it more in terms of, like, an art practice. Mm -hmm. You know, like, kind of like you're getting at, like, maybe you don't journal. And actually, what I thought you were going to say is this. I thought you were going to say, like, maybe you don't journal because you're, like, making work instead. Mm -hmm. and i kind of think that way at least as like a photographer you know i can look at pictures i made four years ago and i can sort of be like okay okay you know and like you know you, you see some of the, the stuff you do and you look back and you're like yeah that was never gonna pan out mm. um which in some ways is sort of the equivalent of being like wow this is kind of cringy i really liked um long exposure as well at a similar age and I think we were born the same year. So um, it may have been something trendy taking place at that time or uh, something that was happening because of the internet. Uh, I also found myself really interested in it. Uh, but what I think is um, particularly uh, relevant to our conversation is you spoke about um, kind of those early explorations with... Uh, digital or uh, digital manipulations of photographs yeah and then um when i ask you the subject matter of the photography from from nearly the beginning of of your experience you were manipulating these photographs using uh you know like light, light techniques like the um the light painting technique is like a form of uh manipulating the the image because it's not there long exposure um starts to manipulate the image from from the place that it's it's taken uh which in some some senses seems obvious because those are the things that you're interested in your work but it's also a nice connection between uh this early photo manipulation and then manipulating the hardware of 
the the camera using long exposure and light and then to kind of where your work is um, exploring in, in, in some facets of your work now continuing that manipulation process yeah totally I feel like what ultimately once you find the words to kind of use for these kinds of things it's kind of easy to draw that line where you sort of go okay you were manipulating images and then it was sort of an I think the way I would describe it is like an exploration of the possibilities of like what can be done with a camera and time hmm. um, to where like now, at least like with this world and others like it, the, the, my previous project, um, you know, there's a lot of different things going on. There's not necessarily like what I would consider genuine image manipulation where I'm like, compositing photographs and like taking things from over here and putting them over there and stuff like that but there is still this amount of like what's possible like what can be done like where can i point my camera and what kind of transformative process can the image go through by making an image a certain way or like sort of taking advantage of a certain perspective or technique or um and just like personally as kind of a both an artistic endeavor, but also as like a personal endeavor with photography, kind of questioning where I can push those boundaries when I mm. make new images and I make more images. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that and that uh, that goes that goes really deep into all of the different the methods of interacting with the camera um, even to the extent um, I think one of the projects that you um, created or, 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 or made or participated in was actually making physical cameras yeah as well yeah yeah I mean that's sort of it's um, that's sort of like its own thing but it's also like super related um, mm -hmm. like I started so basically, like to give the full kind of progression here, I was in college getting my BFA in photo. Mm -hmm. And I totally just like jacked up the system. I went to Mizzou with full intention of being a photojournalist. I was like, okay. I want to work for Nat Geo, blah, blah, blah. Like I had this very specific vision of what is possible as an image maker professionally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my family was sort of like in, engaging with that and sort of promoting and fostering that part of it because they were like, you know, we want you to be successful and happy. Like, we don't know that how you do that with a camera. Yeah. Um, which is like, I think, a pretty standard conversation that happens with any artist in any media. Like, your parents are kind of like, what are you going to do with this? How's this going to yeah. play out? <laughs> um, and so my vision was like, oh, you photojournalism and i had mm. been on like the high school newspaper at, at the same times that i was making these like photographs in high school and stuff and so when i got to college i took like a photo class like an art photo class and i just like threw everything away like it, it just flipped everything i thought i understood about like what's possible as as in photography both professionally artistically as an industry and everything and it was just like throw all that away because 
you have no idea what you're talking about. And very quickly, mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to be a photojournalist. Like, it's very clear to me that I'm, I want to be an artist. Yeah. And so, um, because I transitioned from photojournalism into the fine art track, I kind of like skipped a bunch of the foundations courses because hmm. rather than going into like art school with the intention of being an artist and them saying, okay, here are the foundation courses you need to take 2d design, 3d design, beginning painting, like, you know, the usual stuff that you take at like a liberal arts college experience. Um, instead it was like, okay, I took beginning photography. Now I'm ready to take intermediate photo. And also I'm changing, I'm changing my major. And like, because of the way that all happened, I also stopped going to my advisor. I just started making my own schedules mm. because around this time I went to them at one point and I was like, I'm thinking about double majoring. And they were like in art and photojournalism. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, well, it's going to be hard, but if you do like 20 hours a semester, you could do it in four and a half years. Wow. And like, I started like mocking that up and it very quickly occurred to me that that is not reasonable or realistic. Mm -hmm. And like being, mm -hmm. I was still kind of like a punk at this point. Um, I was like, well, these people are stupid. Like they don't, they just want me to take as many classes as possible so that I owe them more money. And so I just stopped going to the advisor and those several things basically led to two and a half years of college where I took whatever classes I wanted um, that like, f you know, met requirements that I ha had for my degree plat path, but I just uh -huh. didn't take the classes I didn't want to take. Mm. So we arrive at me being invited to take like a new course that one of my professors was like, um, fostering it was going to be a new part of the program and he was just like um, doing a try run a dry run mm -hmm. with a hand-picked selection of artists and photographers that he thought would be like a cool group to put into this course okay and it was a four by five photography course so I've been at this point I've already been shooting with large format cameras for a while and at the same time that I'm taking this class, I'm catching up with all of these classes that like I didn't take that I should have been. Um, and so I'm in this large format photography course for like advanced photography level, like four or 5,000 level course. And I'm also in 3d design. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm like, <laughs> I'm making these like, you know, foundations level assignments, but I'm like running away with them because my mind is oh, yeah. like, you know, super fresh with all of the newness of like really thinking more conceptually and more seriously about like individual pieces and things. Mm -hmm. And um, I get to this assignment where we have to make something out of cardboard and it's, it has to be an extension of yourself. And, okay, you know, people are making things like uh truck door, the burninator costumes that they can wear and like wings and, you know, like, the kinds of things that when you immediately think of an extension of oneself, um, you think, Oh, that could be an extension of my body or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I like somehow managed to make my way around to like this really lame, but also an argument that I was really committed to making, which was like, mm -hmm. well, a camera is the extension of my arm. Like, and there, you know, there's probably like 300 
famous photographers who have said some like really lame version of that. Um, <laughs> but I was like committed. I was like, no, no, professor, this is what I want to do. And I will, whatever criteria you give me, I'll, I'll meet it just so that you let me make this instead of like wings or something. Because mm-hmm. kind of like um, we, you kind of like alluded to, or at least we collectively did earlier where like in some ways photography works for me because I'm just like, I don't, I could foster these talents, but I, I just like, I don't have a lot of um, inherent artistic ability, like with the hand, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so photography worked really well for me because it was more about um, organization and less about like tact with hand on okay paper and um so i like i didn't want to make something that had you know curves i wanted to make something that had edges (laughs) i see yeah um and i also like i took a couple engineering classes in high school and so like you know there were there were these all these different things about photography that excited me it wasn't just Mm -hmm. making images it was like the the apparatus itself i found really fascinating Mm mm-hmm so my professor fought, like pushed back hard. She was like, this is, no, this doesn't really fit the da 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 da. And we went back and forth for a while. And she goes, if you can make a cardboard four by five that works, then I'll let you do that for the assignment. And I was like, uh-huh. okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and I made a four by five out of cardboard that worked. Um, That's wild. It didn't work well, uh-huh. but it worked, damn it. And I walked into the critique. Yeah with a print and a negative that i had made with the camera uh-huh. and it was like this like real quiet little middle finger to the teacher because she like she sort of pushed back on it every step of the way she'd check in she'd be like how's it going and i'd be like well i have this part done but now i'm working on this part and then i need to make the bellows and da 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 and like every step of the way she was just like you know, maybe do something else. Da, 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 da. And I was like, I'm committed. Like, do you not see the energy I have about this? Yeah. Right. So, and, and long story short, I get a B minus, and it's like, wow, okay. I mean, I made a functional camera out of recyclable material, but it's cool. You must have really hurt her feelings. What was so weird? You did something. I, you did something to, and that happens a lot in art school. That's something that's like common, too. I think more common in creative classes than other classes like i have been in situations where i have like deeply profoundly hurt my professor's feelings (laughs) in the middle of a critique or uh with a with a particular assignment that i i chose to chose to go through yeah um and and um but yeah i think that i think that that's really interesting that like first of all what is the conceptual underpinning to deny you know like a camera as being this object yet to like um to use the example that you shared uh what what's the conceptual underpinning to deny that while accepting like a wing like this fictitious fake unreal allegory yeah for an experience exactly it's you know i just sort of like look i get it that it doesn't like perfectly fit the criteria of what you're envisioning but like mm-hmm Part of the problem, in my humble opinion, is that I had been um, uninitiated or like indoctrinated. Um, Mm -hmm. And this was something that like we talked about in photo classes at 
at Mizzou, like you go into art school with the vision of classes and assignments being this thing where you are given an assignment and you execute that assignment. When, as you get further along into the like art trajectory, that, that, that um, structure slowly shifts to you are given space and time and you need to make decisions about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that part of the issue was that I had already been um, deinstitutionalized. That's the phrase that we, or the word that we would use. And I had already like totally given myself over to um, given being given time and space and making my own decisions and reasons. And I think that her vision of the assignment was a lot more like limited in scope because it was meant to be like an introductory course. Mm -hmm. And I think that like at this point I had already proven myself to be a bit of a hassle because every <laughs> assignment I would have these like crazy ideas and I've, I, damn it. I executed on them every single time. Like I didn't ever not turn an assignment in. I didn't ever skip class. I wasn't the like, I'm better than this because I'm further along. It was more like, right. this is something I need to do. I'm going to do it in a way that makes me happy. Yeah. And I think that she just like really didn't like that. But huh. I think deep down she knew that she effed up when she gave me that B minus because at the end of the semester, she changed it to an A plus. And I was like, wow, it's too late. You've hurt my feelings. <laughs> yeah. Because at this That's point, I also like, don't like... care about the grades, you know? strange kind of like shameful method of yeah wow well, yeah <laughs> that's a i think that those are the strong and powerful experiences that can take place inside of art education um and though strong and powerful for you as well as um you know for the instructors kind of engaging and confronting uh their own styles and um you know, I think about uh, education, you know, somebody's teaching for five years, the students that are coming in the fifth year are so much different than the students that are coming in the first year. Yeah. Not to mention like the individuality between each of them, but it's this like rolling system of uh, trying to stay, trying to stay on top of that. Um, yeah. yeah. And like, I feel like that's something that's kind of difficult to do and, like there's so much adaptation involved in that. And I think some people just don't do well with that. You yeah. Know? You kind of get into a, to a groove, especially in those, those early ones. I had a, um, I had a creative strategies class uh, that I took during my second go at art school, um, which also didn't work, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, the, the, it was, I was so unhappy to be there in some ways because um, I spent a year in a foundations program at Kansas City Art Institute and like we, we went through hell there. Yeah. Uh, so then we had this creative strategies class that I needed to take at Webster and um, really came in kind of bummed to, to have to go through that experience just to like tick some box off. Yeah. Uh, but it was like one of the more pivotal times of exploration for me in just like returning to the fundamentals like returning to the basics and being able to express these ideas 
um, through all of these like very simple fundamental conventions because uh, I, I tend to complicate things, continue to complicate things. It was a really good reminder to to simplify things. Um, so those classes have have a have a great role. Um, I did want to move over to some of the work that you're making, yeah, um, and share and share those. Uh, those images that you sent me, you, you um, mentioned that they are uh, some of the the newer works um, that you've been working on. Is this a, a part of a series that you're engaged in, or or is this just some of the newer things that are are taking place? Um, I don't really know. Um, mm -hmm. so. For a long time, I thought I was working on a project that I'm calling this. Uh, I know what I saw. Okay. And I think really what that meant or means now is that um, that is a phrase that I'm like using as a prompt as I navigate image making. Okay. And so it's like I kind of I kind of just try to embrace sort of a yes philosophy which is like if i have an idea to make a photo i stop myself before i can talk myself out of the idea and mm -hmm. i just go and make the image mm -hmm. um but for a long time the idea of i know what i saw was sort of founded in this community that i'm really fascinated by of people who think that the tasmanian tiger isn't isn't extinct Okay. And the jury's out. Tasmania is a big place. There's a lot of places that it could be hiding and like um maybe it's out there. I'm not going to sit here and act like I don't love the idea romantically that it is still out there. Because mm -hmm. I do love that as an idea. Um yeah. and I love the idea of being the one to like get the photo, but that's like a different story entirely because ultimately what I realized pretty quickly over the past few years is like I'm not going to make it out to Tasmania soon, or at least like that's, that's slowly becoming more of a reality as I like get more on top of my, my shit. But mm -hmm. for a long time, it was like, look, you can't just sit around waiting for the project to happen. Like you need to be making work like that. Like, I think that for me personally, one of the most important things about being an artist is like finding consistency in the practice, even if you're not making mm -hmm. exactly what you want to be making. Mm -hmm. so it started with that and um it was just kind of a prompt and like in a kind of like lazy lame way i suppose you can kind of look at some of these images and sort of understand the idea of like i know what i saw like a ton of birds or you know just like random things that i come upon but uh like a year and a half ago i almost cut my finger off and then i sort of got thrown into the mix got me starting to think about like broken things as well and so mm -hmm. Now it was sort of like, I know what I saw, but I'm also thinking about vision and like a change in perception because like now, whenever I look down at my left hand, it like, it's still my hand. And it, it, at this point, like I recognize it as my own, but if I go and like watch videos or see photos of my hand from before the accident, I have this sort of like out of body experience Yeah, where I'm like, that's not me, but it is me. And it's like really peculiar. And so that's kind of gotten dragged into the project. But I think in a lot of ways, I'm, for now, I'm like at kind of the beginning of several projects, I think. Mm -hmm. And so 
what what it's kind of becoming is just kind of an exploration of like where to go next and really just trying to execute all of the different ideas I have. So like the third image is at St. Louis Art Museum. Um, and I'm, I went and I studied uh, all of the instances that they could find me of Lazarus, the hmm. biblical figure that died and came back to life. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not super religious, but what fascinated me about Lazarus um, was that his name has become sort of a, a way to describe animals that were thought to be extinct and were later rediscovered in the wild. And so there was this like direct connection between Lazarus and the tiger, but it was more like, it was more thinking a little bit more heavily about just this phrase of like, I know what I saw. Like, I don't, I guess I don't know for sure that that, that phrase is in the Bible at this moment, but the, the story, like I was raised Catholic, so I know about this stuff. I just don't necessarily care about it anymore. Um, (laughs) Like, you know, the story is that he was so, um, so faithful that the Lord chose to bring him back to life. And so there's all these people going to his crypt to, to sort of see him living again incredulously. Um, and so there's this air of, I know what I saw, Lazarus is alive. Um, yeah. And just like, I don't know, kind of mining that phrase for everything it's worth. Yeah, um, there, there's a lot to that. Um, even just the, you know, I mean, we can, you probably have like a few different conceptions, a few different ways that that phrase has, has played out in, in your understanding. Yeah. Um, and, and that's definitely not the, uh, the sensation I had when I first had that, heard that phrase, but it, it's, it's a really, really accessible, accessible phrase. Yeah, but it's also really insidious. Like mm. the one of the things I, I'm also working on a new piece that I it's it's only in concept at the moment, but it's going to be a video piece of um like randomly playing short like three ish second clips of people saying I know what I saw and I'm mining these out of popular culture, movies, television shows, um, news outlets. I have a Google alert set up for the phrase, so I get an email every day where like of videos and articles where that phrase is getting used. Mm-hmm. And um, I, the reason I say it's so insidious is because I really feel like that phrase at, on all at once suggests that from the user, I am, I am saying this and it is a statement of fact, but to, del- but to, so to receive that phrase or hear it, um, it has nothing to do with fact or reality and everything to do with perception. And that that discrepancy fascinates me, and um, it's sort of like it's sort of like please believe me. Um, you know, it, it doesn't. It's not about fact. It's about belief. Yeah. And that like that's something I like. I think is really core to just like our culture at large right now is that so much of what we think and do and believe and see and decide on has like everything to do with what feels right and nothing to do with what is actually right. Hmm. Especially when there um, isn't 
you know, uh, that people are out and they they know what they see. They see this, um, you know, especially with the big C word, the COVID <laughs> out there, uh, something that's that's invisible, right? And um, but has also had a profound visual effect on the way that we experience reality. Yeah. Um, and how and how quickly um, it has become normal to uh, anticipate the, the the viewing of masks. I was in, in the grocery store the other day, and um, if somebody had shown me, you know, a photograph of what I was seeing, um, you know, six months ago, I wouldn't have had any basis of understanding, like, what that reality is that we're living in. Um, so I, I'm connecting it to this idea of, like, there's this this invisibility, and then that also has such a profound effect on the way that we're experiencing uh, human connection, um, especially in public places. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's where that led me. Yeah, and like, and what's kind of interesting about that is not only that, but if you had seen that photograph, like, your perception of what that reality feels like would be so mm. different. Like, it's mm -hmm. you're at the grocery store. It's super banal like being there right now that's yeah, i think that's chill. kind of the sensation but I, I i don't know if you agree with this but i think if i had seen that photo you know several months ago i would have kind of i think there's a part of me that would have flippantly been like well what's the big deal like what is going on this is ridiculous but then the other part of me like the real core of me like oh shit like something is really not right and that is factually yeah. true about now but um i think that the think anxiety been... is much like greater in the perception than the reality uh, yeah yeah i think i would have been very very frightened yeah by that image um uh very like unsettled and 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 surreal and and also very frightened yeah um but I, I don't have a sense of, of fright. I, I mean, I more so have a sense of fright around now the um, the viewing of, of people's faces whom are unmasked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in the various, uh, and I think this is an experience that's taking place culturally, um, the experience of watching uh, television series, um, any kind of like, um, flipping and non-necessary displays of physical affection yeah um, kind of like make me cringe a little bit because i'm like a hugger i'm a very huggy person um but now when i see people hugging on uh the sopranos i am like i'm like disgusted by them <laughs> you're like what are you doing <laughs> yeah so the, so then the 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 visual experience of of actually being afraid of other people's mouths and and then they take on this like grotesque uh they're they're like i think of people's faces much more grotesquely now yeah no totally i'm like you're clean if you have a mask it's like underwear <laughs> or something <laughs> exactly um could you talk to me and and, the, and our viewers a little bit about the just the the format of these photographs so you're taking these photographs also in large format yeah so these are all going to be large format four by five photographs um admittedly some of these are actually color images but um i just don't think that 
that's working for me. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> so I like a lot of the like this one in particular. I shot in color, but I really hate the color version. Um, I I can imagine what those colors are. Yeah, I can, I can see. They're kind of yellow and very yellow. <laughs> yeah, very institutional and kind of grody. So yeah, I mean, like, and I think what's kind of emerging in my practice, despite the fact that all I'm showing you are photos um mm -hmm. is that like i have these other ideas for pieces that are in many ways not straight so to speak photographs mm -hmm. um and like i think the big impasse i'm at right now is trying to figure out how they all live together how they all like have a relationship okay um and i don't have an answer <laughs> to be perfectly honest but um yeah, I'm, I'm like doing a couple things more than just like making photographs these days. But yeah, I mean, I love photography and, and I think it's really hard for me to like walk away from it. And so in, in a lot of ways, I, I know that I'll continue to, to create work this way as well as anything or else that I continue to choose to do. Hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, these are these are all kind of very consistent in terms of the way that they're created. They're shot on film. I scan them and then I sort of create reproductions digitally using inkjet printing. Cool. Um, one of the things not, not ever having uh, any kind of formal education in, in photography. Um, what do you, what do you find about the, the four by five um, shape? Is is it is it the the shape that draws you to shooting in that format, or is it is it something that has to do with just the 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 mechanics of um, the types of cameras that produce these images? I think it's a couple things. So like when I got to college, I had a thirty five millimeter camera, and I had what's called a bulk film loader, which allows you to reuse thirty five millimeter film canisters, and it also allows you to buy film for like one-third price because you're buying it in bulk oh. and i had this vision of like this is all i'm ever going to need for the rest of my life is because i'd fallen in love with film in high school like late high school i took some photo classes and like just uh -huh. basically slept in the dark room and i was like this is it this is all i need and then i took intermediate photo and um my professor and mentor does this thing in one of the first classes he calls it the penny tour of the history of photography and he just brings out like a huge smattering of cameras that are in his camera collection and all at once it went from 35 millimeters to his film photography to actually film photography is really just a surface and they make it in like 300 different sizes <laughs> mm. and i was like oh shit and so I like played around with medium format a little bit. And then at some point I was like, I want to try four by five. And my professor was like, okay, he taught me how. And I just, I fell in love with it. And I think it's a couple things for one, like this image in particular that we're looking at, you can zoom in, uh, like if you had the, the full image and not just like a JPEG mm -hmm. onto those drawings that are, or they're not drawings, they're, um, they're screen prints. Okay. I forget of what variety, if I'm being honest. They're from a plate, but I don't remember beyond that. Um, but you can zoom in on those, and you can see every detail, every line, every little carve that the artist made to produce that print. 
and you can read the description and the information that's provided beneath it. And so like that, wow. that, um, that quality, that integrity down to such a small scale was like really exciting to me for a lot of reasons. One of which being that you can print these images super large and that's like, there's something really satisfying, especially if you're kind of like a photo geek about big prints. You can put your yeah. face on them and you can just see everything. <laughs> and so that really excited me. And then the other part of it was um, it's a fundamental different, fundamentally different way of making photographs. So like when we make okay. pictures with our phones or like a digital camera that like is handheld, there's, there's sort of a, there's a dexterity and a quickness that you can adopt where the, you, you can just very, very quickly make images. And with a four by five, yeah. in most cases, you have your tripod and you have to get out your camera and you have to unfold it and you put it on the tripod and you attach the lens and then you focus and you meter and like it becomes more of a ritualistic type experience rather than mm. um, what my professor would have called like a point and grunt type experience where you very quickly just like <laughs> click and then you're on to the next thing. It's more like there's a level of... Um, you have to be kind of deliberate and yeah. very like active, actively thinking about what images you're making. Um, because oftentimes you're only carrying, you know, enough film to maybe make 10 images at any given time. Hmm. Well, that makes, that makes this first image in, in the bundle um, much more clear. It's, it's also much more depressing when you realize that, um, like I know, that there were about 10 times as many birds when I arrived. And by the time I got set up, they had all flown away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The act of you being there and observing the situation fundamentally changes it too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, things change and like that, that active viewing, I think is a huge part of it. Like me being able to sort of like arrive at something and sort of be like, okay, I want to make a photograph of that. And, mm -hmm. um, living with that subject for a while, um, mm. I think really makes you think a lot more sincerely and a lot more carefully about the edges of the image that you're producing and like really where things begin and end. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I noticed that as, as we, we, we move through, um, move through some of these images. I love edge work. Uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the bookmark um in the bottom center mm -hmm. of this this image just teetering over the edge of the table yeah and like and there go ahead these nature works these um i think these are like connected in some way uh we have the the fallen bridge here right mm -hmm. kind of that's what it looks like and then this like fallen fence um and there's these uh interventions um these like man-made interventions that are that are like falling apart or are in, in in some level of of disrepair but then like this image here stands out as uh not necessarily you know like a nature in disrepair but nature can nature be in disrepair <laughs> something i think about a lot yeah and like i think a lot of these come out of you know like i said thinking about broken things because my finger is like crooked now and just kind of like jacked up yeah and so like that really started to kind of 
emerge as this thing that felt really related to these other things I was thinking about was like, mm-hmm. you know, a tree falls on this fence and then um, it just sort of lives like that for a while. You know, can I go and do something with that? Mm-hmm. So that let me to earlier, I wanted to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about how a uh it's it's like an out-of-body experience for you to see photographs of yourself um before uh you had the accident with your finger yeah and um you might have just answered it in some ways um but i was curious about like the the out-of-body experience do you do you feel that just as like a strict physical thing like there's something different about your body that like you know you used to have you used to have this one thing and that was your body and then in the future there's this other thing that's your body but then there's also this question that i have that i want to posit to you in that um when you look back at that person uh before that accident took place if you also have that out of body experience because you know that you hadn't experienced that pain and hadn't experienced that trauma and that that experience like really changed you um like emotionally or spiritually in some ways oh man i feel like i feel like it's really hard to say like thinking about like who I was before, it was just sort of like, I was this person who had human problems and human interests. And I like, I I think honestly, what happened was like, I, now that I have this, it's like, you know, 90% of people that I encounter don't even ever notice it. It's relatively minor. It's there, but it's, it's, you know, it depends. Um, but like, I was actually telling my my two friends this yesterday, um, and I, I end up talking to one of them about this kind of regularly because he's in medical school to become like a reconstructive plastic surgeon so he can like help people with like cleft lips and things and because um, yeah. he wants to like help. He's not like, you know, he, he doesn't want to do like augmentation. Mm, um, and so like we've talked a lot about my finger in that capacity. And what I told him was like, there isn't a day that I don't think about it. And Mm. it's so hard to conceive of a world where like I didn't. And uh, it was really interesting because my other friend who was there was like, I never think about my hands. And I was like, I don't think I did either. Like, why would you, you know I mean? Right. You don't necessarily need to look down at your hands and sort of be like, yep, all 10 are there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's just sort of this like inherent thing that's like innate to your human experience. It's like, I have, Mm -hmm nine fingers or <laughs> 10 fingers and 10 toes. And um, I don't need to question that. They're just like there, I can feel them and I know where they are. And like, that's just sort of part of like human, like motor autonomy or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's like proprioception. Yeah. Of like knowing exactly where your body is in an unaffected way. Exactly. And so like, I don't know that this really answers your question, but I think, I think where I'm at now is just that like, I'm really trying hard not to like fixate on it. 
Mm. And if I do at the very least, like try and utilize that in some like meaningful way. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, brings us to these images. And I, and I want to say, you know, I appreciate you, you sharing that um, because the, the, the life of an artist is, is affected by um, everything, you know, everything that's going on. That's like an easy thing to say. Yeah. Uh, but when we have these these large changes in your life for then you to be um, exploring these images of objects that are broken um, or, you know, in, in some level of, of disrepair uh, really helps kind of clarify um, your exploration of these objects, knowing knowing more so uh, which which you've been experiencing with that physical trauma yeah and like i you know it's it's complicated because um it doesn't like bother me it doesn't make me sad it's just sort of like this this ever-present thing like my finger it doesn't look like it used to <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and so it's like really complicated because like it's frustrating to be so fixated on something that um i i find humorous at times and i don't necessarily mm -hmm. like feel sad about you know it, it doesn't really impede my ability to do anything and so i don't feel mm -hmm. like it's this huge negative impact on my life and experience it's just sort of like it's complicated as this thing that happened and now i'm like living with it and yeah i don't like i yeah i think a big part of it is just like reconciling that that happened and that that exists and that it's like it's a part of me now and it's inescapable and I think in a lot of ways it, it 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 really like thrust right in front of my eyes like my humanity yeah um and like i don't know it fucked me up for a little while just like dealing with the physical pain but once that like went away um you know i i, I imagine to some extent it was coping but a huge i genuinely think that a big part of it is like i feel really comfortable laughing about it and kind of like you know make like trying to make my friends uncomfortable with it by like you know doing like salad finger like weird stuff and like you know i wouldn't do it to a stranger because it'd be kind of messed up but yeah you know my friends that know me really well and i i don't feel too weird about it like i i kind of like make a joke of it and stuff and um i think for me that's like that's realistically the kind of relationship i want to have with things like this in my life yeah and um yeah but it, it definitely had there those moments where like all of the sudden i felt really human and like really vulnerable um oh i can imagine and it wasn't so much as like i'm gonna die it was more just like it was simultaneously being like really um impressed by two different things one being just like how incredibly fragile we are as like physical beings but mm -hmm. also like how incredibly resilient we are as human beings like i took an eighth of an inch chunk out of my finger except for like an eighth of an inch section that was just like barely holding the the spine of my finger together if you will like if, if you imagine my finger as a book you know yeah and they sewed it back together and it's like crooked now because you, you know, it's like if you take a piece of paper and you cut a piece out of it and you try to take the two ends and like fold them together. Like now you have this um, like bent trapezoid type shape. Right. Um, but like 
the fact that they stitched my finger together in a way that like you know genetically it is not intended to and my body yeah. just went yeah that yeah that that's a finger um you know send send in the forces we're gonna reconnect that baby <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> thanks thanks guys we'll take it from here exactly it's like <laughs> yeah how the hell does that work <laughs> this doesn't make any sense to me yeah like no glue or some sort of like nanotube yeah nerve wire something yeah 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 that's that's incredible uh, it's like <laughs> i like i like how you sandwiched those those two kind of different facets of like the fragility of the body and then like the subtle intervention necessary for it to uh heal itself yeah it's like business as usual like the body's like you know this the the old guy who like works at the uh factory who uh-huh. knows how to fix all the machines and you know some like young guy comes along and he's like the the stamping machine is broken and the old guy's like yeah that happens let's let's go take a look <laughs> and he just like slaps some duct tape on it or something and just like magically it works again yeah he's like well here's your problem <laughs> this this uh this screw is 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 one thread too tight yeah exactly or he's like it doesn't even make sense (laughs) and then then the young guy's like well don't you think it's gonna matter that like this this bolt over here is missing and the guy's like that's been missing since 2019 it's not a big deal uh i have a couple more of the works that you shared with me that i'm interested in, in in talking about yeah um this one really stood out to me uh is kind of this like exploded object but i don't have a read on on what these you know they they feel connected to each other um these these different aspects but but i don't know i just i just felt really drawn to to this work here this is so um i i have another photo i made from my previous projects where um it's a four by five but i, I zoomed in really close on my leg and mm. I grabbed a bunch of my hairs and I pulled them up. Mm-hmm. And so I made like a little mountain on my leg. And oh. um, it's kind of grotesque. Some uh, mm-hmm. I, I did a takeover for the New Yorker photo once time and uh, I posted it. And the reception was super mixed. Half of the people okay. were like, this is so rad. And then half of the people were like, <laughs> this is disgusting. Get it off of my feed. <laughs> And I kind of think that this is probably one of those images as well. Um, when when people come to understand what it is that they're looking at, mm. um, this is this is the like um, this is all the dead skin and like sloth that fell off of my finger as it was healing. Mm. <laughs> I see. That that mm, was like in in a lot of ways telling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, also, it's, go it's ahead. like a it, the concept's like a fine wine, you know. It takes some getting used to. Yeah. Um, but but it, it was that, that's really the same noise I make. You, you chose the to same call noise it I drink. To you. Oh yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Because my finger did kind of explode. Yeah. Um, Quite the collection you got here. Yeah. I, you know, it's one of those things that, like, it's kind of gross to admit that I have chosen to keep. 
Um, <laughs> my little my little screen popped up here and just moved the track. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's where that should be going. <laughs> uh, um, no, I I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, I don't know. I it was like this thing I did that like I I felt was really gross, but it was also like. I sort of had this vision of it as like being an artistic decision, like holding on to this, but also like, I think that was an excuse just to sort of like do this weird kind of gross, creepy thing that I was doing, which was like when skin fell off of my finger, I was putting it in a bag. Mm. Um, and I, the logic for what it's worth was like, this is, this is the end of my finger as it was meant to be. I see. And by like holding on to this, I think to some extent I was trying to like hold on to that as an idea. Like I didn't want to let go or like accept the fact that my finger was um, permanently altered. I see. So, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> um, one thing that I, uh, oh, yeah. It, so, <laughs> and it, it sounds like you're kind of dancing around it as like was was it this this like compulsion that was taking place and then this was a way to kind of like formalize that compulsion to collect these things or i mean like sometimes there's just a sense of like i should collect this and i should keep it for later because it's probably gonna probably gonna work for me in, in one of the ways like if it wasn't a photo series it would be a baggie that you shook in front of your friends faces to freak them out and then kind of like a similar sense as to what you were speaking about earlier right yeah like, there's kind of like a value a value in these in these things but i wonder how how um did you have it all planned out as it was going on or is it something that just occurred naturally i think i don't think i like i i, I really don't know that i um oh, i might sneeze okay nope it's gone um I think when I started doing it, I, this is this is one where like journaling or something would be really useful because I could just be like, <laughs> I thought this. Um, yeah. But I think it was more just sort of like this thing that I chose to do. And I don't, mm. I didn't necessarily think like, this is what I need to do right now. I think it was more like, um, I have this weird... So I, I honestly, actually, now that I'm thinking about it more, I think what it came back to was I was keeping like the splints and things like that. Okay. Um, and, and an image I didn't share with you for this was a, is a photo I made of one of the first splints that I had holding my finger together. And um, <laughs> this is kind of gross, but like my finger was still like leaking and bleeding, um, even though it was like stone, sewn back together. And so it's this picture of a splint and there's this imprint of my finger on a patch of dried blood. Um, and you can see my fingerprint in like mm. the negative, so to speak. Yeah. And um, in holding on to like those things, and I was also holding on to all the documentation and that was more like, you know, like an adult thing to do. Like I need to keep these documents. Um right. I think I just sort of like reflexively thought, okay, um, I should hold on to the skin that's falling off. I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's evidence in the way that those other things were evidence. Yes. I love that word. That's, that's a really great way to put that. Like, I think that I saw it in a lot of ways as like evidence of something that had occurred. Mm. 
And it's the same reason why, like I, like when I was sitting at the hospital bed and I, I, I will spare you these images cause they're super grotesque. Um, I like had my partner take pictures of me sitting there and I had her, um, you know, take pictures of my finger and, um, like take pictures while they were stitching it back together. And, um, it felt like, it felt like this thing that needed to be done. Like as a, as a person who makes and collects images, I need, I almost like needed that, that visual content to go back to. Yeah. So I think it comes from that, like kind of, I think as a photographer, your practice is a lot about collecting mm. oftentimes. Okay. And I think maybe that just like that combined with an amount of um, uncertainty about um, what my finger was going to look like, I think kind of led me to this, like, I need to hold on to these things um, because they're somehow useful or important. I don't know. I, I, I think that this is useful. Uh, I was just so drawn to this image. I didn't zoom in. I think it might have been, become more clear as I as I zoomed in and started to see the fidelity of things. But yeah. it is it's kind of like bird, like feathers or um, like small, small rocks or bits of charcoal, you know, um, like it's a it's almost it's something that I'd be like interested in drawing in charcoal is like what it what it reaches where it reaches me yeah um it has this like really like drawn quality to it um and it, it looks like you placed uh these bits <laughs> that's the way to say it uh -huh. on top of like a, a piece of glass precisely on top of a board uh, something very white yep but then it also looks like um almost as if you put them inside of a scanning bed oh um, yeah similar similar to you know, like a scanning process as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that would, if, if any really good graphite artists are out there and want to stare at uh, Drew's finger bits for a period of time, this would be a great drawing. <laughs> yeah, as well. I, I do. That's kind of interesting. It does kind of have like a still life drawn quality to it because of like the mm. quality of the light and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, related to that, I think we have couple other photographs here um so is is this your finger yes okay and that's like a that's an angle that doesn't do a lot to sort of make you think that there's a lot wrong with the finger and there really isn't quite frankly like right i, 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 I should... thought this was like someone else's finger and it just didn't have any any reason to be in this photo set <laughs> no 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 i mean so it's it's technically the um the pointer finger so like the right finger in the image mm -hmm. and like i don't know it, it, it's hard to tell i mean i can i look at it and i understand how it's a little bit off because right it's my finger yeah it does make sense yeah um but it basically like the way it got stitched back on it's like a little bit crooked and a little bit twisted mm. um yeah there's some different tensions there yeah but like this image um for me like i was thinking about uh, again, back to this phrase of I know what I saw and like kind of thinking about that as a, as a, a broader prompt, thinking more just generally about like seeing and like the ways that um, vision are utilized in different ways. And so um, I don't remember how I arrived at the thought, but I was sort of like, again, thinking about my hands, thinking about broken things, also thinking about this phrase, I know what I saw. And it kind of like 
occurred to me that like maybe there's something interesting about um like asl sign language in relation to these things or it's like in some ways maybe it's the meeting of these two ideas mm. and so what this is is um it's sort of like if, if i'm understanding correctly the the to say c or sight in asl you sort of like make that hand signal oh, okay. and you kind of like you sort of swipe it forward i think don't quote me on it like i i, I did my research and i was like yeah I'm like 95 percent sure i'm doing this right um, right yeah and so like for me it was sort of this way of like thinking about my finger in relation to vision and like understanding mm -hmm. um and like maybe trying to kind of like rope in all of these like very disparate ideas into one image that can kind of like tie a bow onto all of them or something mm -hmm. i don't know yeah yeah and then i mean even language you know like uh yeah. the language part comes up with that as well um somewhat obviously but uh it it leads me to think about something unrelated to what we're talking about though but um using the hands as, as methods of of communication which is it's which is what you do like yeah that's that's your like uh you know point and click finger maybe it's the opposite you know, like, one but yeah i mean um I, to, to your point to kind of like run away with that like um i talk with my hands a lot especially uh -huh. like in person and so i think actually now that you say that i think that's part of what led me to this idea was like thinking about gestures and i, I think also i was like in my kitchen at the time and i have this book uh it's sort of like a cheeky little book that's about um like how to say things in italy with your hands um because italians yeah. gesticulate a lot you needed that before your residence exactly yeah. um and i required reading yeah <laughs> it's such a good book like especially after you've lived in italy for a while you sort of look back at that book and you're like this is so accurate like yeah you know i'm like driving with my italian roommate and she's taking us to the residency like somebody's in her way and she's like madonna die <laughs> 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 like used to be a lot of this and just like just just hands all the time but there's there's there are codes to it yes is what you're saying so like it's it's funny to think about like uh you know like italian hand gestures for italy of like you know you don't need those <laughs> to have those conversations but if you if you notice and and there is there are structures and systems and and codes yeah you know like doing this in the wrong situation um would like conflate the the um you know the the thing that's being communicated or it would it would hint at at something else something else that's going on yeah which i find really fascinating yeah absolutely uh, there's a book uh book that i'm really interested in um the the king killer chronicles it's a fantasy book the author is um peter rothis and uh, the first book is called The Name of the Wind. The second book is called A Wise Man's Fear. Mm -hmm. And the third book's coming out this year after like 11 years of huh? being written. Um, but there's there's a, uh, a group of individuals inside of this fantasy world that um, they actually only emote through their hands. They oh. speak. Um, but they use their hands as uh, the ways that they determine 
emotion mm-hmm. because um, they think that showing emotion on your face is uncivilized. Huh. Uh, and so the they look at the other part of the developed world as uh, very uncultured and very uncivilized because they allow their emotions to control them through their face huh right so they they take their emotions and they focus it into different hand signs different kind of like mudras mm-hmm. um which i think is somewhat relevant uh and thinking about kind of like formalizing um emotion through the hand or formalizing language through the hand which i think is a less visceral experience than having it like come out of your mouth uh yeah these words yeah there's like there's like a i don't know if tact is the right word but there's an amount of kind of um i don't know it it feels a little more deliberate but i think i i Mm -hmm. I do genuinely wonder to what extent like i feel that way because it's not the way that i typically communicate Mm. but i do think like to, to sort of like rope in photography into this um I think th- I think there is a lot of validity to that, and because like, um, uh, this is something that gets talked about sometimes. Like different kinds of cameras produce a certain a different kind of relationship to like if you're photographing people to the subject. So like, you know, if I'm if I have like a regular camera and I'm holding it up to me and I'm kind of like I kind of like lean forward, you know, to like look through and look at you and take your photo. There's sort of this like this like aggression to it. Whereas mm. if I'm using like a twin lens camera where you look down into it, it's a little, a little more introspective or something where I, it's less like I'm taking something from you and more like I'm making something in front of you. Mm. And then like a four by five, you know, you put it on the tripod and it's so static. And then like you, you use like a jacket or a dark cloth to actually look at the back of the camera to, to compose your image. It produces this completely different, reaction from the subjects like the the ways that people think about and sort of encounter these different things is just like makes them feel very differently about what's happening in some ways yeah the uh the the image that came to me brightly um uh was like the the undertaker's hood at the gallows when you talked about the 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 large like yeah. cloak there's like this anonymity that is even maybe in some ways um more expressed through like you're hiding yourself yeah and going through this act of like veiling yourself um and i and i do also think that there are um uh the way so i'm i'm like i speak about photography as as a layman mm-hmm. um and I've noticed in conversation with you today that there seems to be, not even seems to be, that you have very deliberate language around the act of like making a photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think in uh, common like nomenclature, um, we call it like taking a picture or like taking a photograph. But I, the only time you've used the word taking <laughs> in regards to photography was just then to express that like single lens, uh, you know, point and shoot or DSLR act of like taking an image from someone yeah. or like instead of like making something of them or, or making something in front of them. Yeah. I, and I, 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 I am actually like 
pretty deliberate about that. And I think it kind of varies. You know, sometimes I, I say making a photograph because I want to feel um, a little bit more highbrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think a big part of it is like the, the, that language, you know, like all language is like really critical to the way and like the results produced with what you're trying to say, like taking a photograph and making a photograph are in some senses at their core, the same concepts. Like you understand that the person is capturing an image and it's mm -hmm. going into the camera. But like, I think that it's, for me, I feel like it's kind of important to make that distinction because um, it is more of like a capture or a make because I'm not taking anything per se, like at least it doesn't feel that way. Um, it's more sort of like the rendering of an idea to make it even more annoyingly highbrow. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, okay, you know, I, I have this idea for this photograph of my hand or for this, of this loop. And I'm not taking the idea. Like, I, 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 you know, um, I'm, I'm either making it or I'm just like capturing it. And that capture is less of like a, it's mine now and more of like mm. a um it's recorded now yeah like one of my favorite um quotes from an artist is um it's from this interview with walid beshti and um i'm gonna pull it up because it's so wonderful basically the journalist or the interviewer is going to walid um, and says, you walked into a gallery and saw your work, thinking it had been made by someone else. What would your first reaction be? And he's trying to get Walid Beshti to consider the possibility that somebody got the idea before him. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I've like always loved what he said. He says, I don't know, probably that I should stop making that work. I think it would be a nice feeling since I'd be freed up to do something else. But maybe that's not mm -hmm. what you're asking. And he says, an assistant I had while I was teaching at the School of the Art Institute told me that there were a handful of people who had started making folded paper photograms after I gave a talk there, which is something that Walid Beshti has done. And the, the assistant teaching was, seemed annoyed. And Walid says, I think he expected me to be annoyed by it as well, but I found it exciting that someone had borrowed something from my work. It meant that there was something mm -hmm. to it that was worth borrowing and could be put to someone's use. I mean... Once you make something and put it out into the world, it isn't really yours anymore. It's part of a larger conversation. And the best case scenario would be that it would be expanded upon, applied to other circumstances or thought processes. And I love that so much because I think that for me is like at its core, part of why I would say making a photograph and not taking a photograph. Because like, I'm, I'm not taking anything. I'm, if anything, like, the act of photography is like giving something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me, I can attempt to be even more strange and pretentious than you think you were being right now. <laughs> and, 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 you know, in my world, it's, it's this act of opening up. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's like functional and engineering and it's opening yourself up. That's looking. And then, you know, the obvious, the camera, it's not, it's not a capturing. It's, it's a, uh, it's an allowing it's like an opening 
um, for that particular light to enter into the body. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, so we can we can we can be these strange pretentious guys all day. But I, I really I think it's really valuable though. I think it's so valuable what you're saying, um, because you know I, I I I've been in in situations where photography has felt like um capture mm-hmm. uh and i think that's something that is um being confronted in contemporary photography is are you know what are the ethics behind the the making of these images are they are they captured captured images or are these um consensual and and done like with openness yeah and i think one place where that's like really kind of coming to foot and um you know i think people have slowly been abandoning um their post as like the artist um and that's one of the things i love most about that quote is you know this this very succinct little statement of once you put something out into the world it isn't yours anymore Mm -hmm. like i love that because like for me, it's such a relief. Like I don't have to be beholden to these ideas on a really like hardcore scale anymore. Like yeah. they're, they're, they existed before me and they will exist after me. And I'm just sort of borrowing them for the moment. Hmm. And like, I think a great place where you see this kind of abandonment and like really attempt to sort of address the like collaborative quality of image making is with uh, Paul Sapoya, who uh like last year had a show at the contemporary art museum here in st louis and he makes these like really incredible images in his studio with mirrors and curtains where it's really hard to tell where the image kind of like begins and ends because like Mm. he's just so good at playing with the seams and the surfaces and the edges of mirrors and things and he's often almost always photographing himself with lovers and friends. And so there are these like these bodies and appendages kind of coming all over around the images. And um, he was actually in the Whitney, the previous Whitney Biennial. And it didn't say Paul Sapoya on the wall. It said Paul Sapoya and then, you know, 12 more names of all of his collaborators. Because what he Mm. says in lectures is, you know, there are the photographs I make when we do these studio visits, but there's also the photographs that my, my lovers and colleagues make because we're all artists. Mm-hmm. And so like the him addressing that collaborative quality and really rejecting the notion that he was the sole creator, um, I think is like really powerful and really interesting. And it's something that um, I think like the art world is working towards addressing and really acknowledging and accepting more and more and more and more and more as we, you know, progress further along. Mm. And I think that's like yeah, super cool. I think it is super cool. I think it, it, in some ways uh, there needs to be um, certain valves. I think that, uh, the way that we understand art and art making um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the negativity a lot of the trauma in in contemporary art a lot of um, kind of this like classic artist problem um, that has been 
loved over and over again by contemporary media is this this sense of like the tortured artist yeah uh and and that comes from a sense of responsibility outside of the bounds of what a human um is actually capable of in some ways and uh like knocking down the monolith of the artist is is in some in some places they're you know i think it's important to knock down the monolith yeah um maybe somebody like paul sapoy is um building other monuments to artists or you know removing removing bricks that aren't structural or maybe taking some bricks that are structural and and placing them on this other pile that we're creating yeah um but but creating that opportunity to reduce some of the um the frankly like violent energy of uh like um dedication or in in some ways it presents as like honor and legacy <laughs> like presupposition that um the the artist has this mythical power yeah uh i think it's i think it's valuable for us to um expand our own experiences of what we're capable of as artists to get into places that are meaningful uh to communicate with other people um but like you said like you aren't the the soul you're you if you're the only person carrying this uh, you know tonnage on your back it's it's um it's gonna do things to you yeah yeah and i mean like to kind of take that to like a more sort of lower level for lack of a better phrasing place um i've lost what i was going to say (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah up in the clouds (laughs) um but but then maybe maybe you this this image that we're looking at here i think also is is something that we wanted to talk about as as far as um you know perspective and 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 magnifying and and changing light i think this this talks a bit about um maybe some of the the ways that these glass objects manipulate light and and the ways that you can uh reflexively like this is like um this work here is uh kind of like a photographic study of of an ecosystem um yeah yeah i mean i I think it has a lot to do with all of that and in a lot of ways i see it as being super related to you know like the picture of my hand because it is it's a loop you know it's an apparatus that helps you see Mm -hmm. and um so it's related in that way but in a lot of ways like i really just wanted to make this photo because this is the loop i used for you know six plus years and um i have i am like one of my favorite um well, I'll save that for later because I know you're going to ask me about it. But um, I think that I'm incredibly romantic and sentimental in a lot of ways. Um, and in other ways, not at all. But like one of them, I think, is in photography. Like I can, I'm, I have sort of a romantic relationship with like how I approach photography, right? Like, mm. and I think you, I think that kind of emerges with things like photographing my dead skin, like, I'm, I, I feel sentimental about my finger that I don't have anymore. Like I have this new different finger and mm-hmm. the loop like totally fits into that same criteria as like this object that I used to produce work that 
has gone on to be exhibited around the world. And, you know, it's now published as a photo book and all of these things that were like these huge goals and these huge milestones that like, I'm just absolutely over the moon that I have had the opportunity to produce and experience and go through. And like all along the way, there was just this like little object that kind of hung out in the background and didn't really like ever get any notice. Um, mm -hmm. but it like absolutely was critical to my practice. And, yeah. um, when it broke, I was like, I was just like super bummed. And I, I felt like <sighs> I needed to somehow memorialize the object in a way that I could like bring it with me into the future, even if the object has sort of lost its functionality. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, what it what it reminds me of is just like materiality so the that little guy was like never supposed to last forever yeah um maybe maybe there are objects like that that do last forever uh and and then there's there's a different relationship that can take place of like if that loop outlives you um but like this one uh didn't <laughs> definitely <No. laughs> didn't outlive you <laughs> um i'm curious you just said earlier uh you were going to speak about something one of your favorite somethings yeah. that i was going to ask you later but i don't i don't know what <laughs> what question it is that i'm supposed to ask you at some point so it seemed like it was relevant to you. So I'd, I'd be curious to hear what, what you were referencing. Uh, it's, I, I think it's one of the like last 10 questions you ask, but I'll tell you anyways. Oh, um, oh yeah. Tell me. It, so one of my favorite descriptions that someone has ever given me of my work is uh -huh. they said that the way that I approached like imaging things and like thinking about photography and the things that I photograph and the projects that emerge from those photographs is uh, they described my practice as gleefully antiseptic. Oh. Um, and I mean, the, the idea I think is to some extent there, but you know, to kind of elaborate, um, I have this very clinical approach to image making. I, I, like, I like to clean things up a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you can kind of see that even just in this small selection of images, like it's, uh, there is sort of a, in a lot of cases, a clear sense of where the edge of the image should be and that I've, I've sort of limited the number of things available inside of the image in an effort to keep a cleaner, more sort of um, clinical aesthetic. But at the same mm -hmm. time, like when I give lectures and when I talk about my work, I get like really excited and I'm, I like, I have this sort of energy of like, isn't this amazing? And um, in some ways like that, that's I, a little bit at odds at, with the way that my images look yeah and so like it felt like this sort of ultimate compliment like to call me both at the same time antiseptic but also like filled with glee <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yes that feels so accurate and like i, I want to like embody that and hold on to that yeah well they're not they're not um opposite yeah they, you know they're 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 not mutually exclusive ideas uh but i don't i don't think i knew that until uh hearing those things together and i think i think that's great like a happy 
like what is what is a happy heart surgeon yeah <laughs> um, like i'd prefer i'd prefer my heart surgeon be happy you know um but like it, it's kind of strange to think of uh wanting them to be professional and wanting them to be obviously very clean very clinical um uh to to be precise but then like I'd also hope that he's a happy, happy guy, a happy girl, you know, like whoever this person is, that, that would be, um, uh, increasingly positive experience if they, they also were a happy person. Yeah. <laughs> Not just technically sound. Yeah. Like you, you want to go into a doctor's office that's like both clinical, but also filled with energy. Yeah. Yeah. That good stuff. Yeah. Great um yeah i guess we are kind of getting to the towards towards the tail end um i'm going to to drop a link for um some of uh drew's different um social media pages website uh you also stream on twitch which i think is great obviously i do um so there's some links there uh pop uh pop the travel agency links in um but yeah, I'm, I'm, maybe we won't do all the 10 questions today, um, but I just want to, I think that that one is, is a really important one um, because it, giving people a sense of um, what you remember as responses to the work, or I think that also helps um, us as artists and, and us as viewers to consider the the methods in which that we can interact with um, artist work in a way that feels supportive yeah um, which isn't always like cut and dry you know uh, I think we get kind of bogged down I know I get bogged down in hearing the same kind of like truncated responses the same like very common responses to the work that um, on the surface are compliments um, but what they really do is uh, expose to me your <laughs> at worst expose to me the viewers disinterest yeah in what's what's actually taking place um and so so most clearly i think that uh uh care is really necessary in responding to the works that artists put out um and that's that's not to you know make people feel um anxious in any way about responding to work but i think it's i think it's always so memorable when individuals you can you can get a sense that they were paying attention to you that you were seen yeah this like gleeful antiseptic quality <laughs> of your work was was put into words and words that maybe you uh, most likely you would have never come up with on your own no yeah yeah i don't think i would have ever gotten there but like I think that maybe like if I was prompted and kind of like guided along, I could arrive at an idea that feels similar, you know, like sort of, mm -hmm. oh, your work is reminds me of this work. And I could be like, yeah, because like that work excites me for these reasons and da 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 da. And you could, you know, go on and on along this mm -hmm. path and think about it this way. But I don't know that I would ever arrive at that exact phrase or even like something that's close enough to feel exactly the same. Mm. I think that's like, yeah. 
Um, so then from there, I just uh, I want to encourage you to uh, tell me and, and, and tell other people what the best ways are for them to support your work and in, in the where it is right now. I think right now, I mean, you'd be doing me a big favor if you followed me on Twitch. I'm a little baby. I got yeah. I got a whole two, three followers, 23 that is. Um, uh, and then just, you know, you can follow me on Instagram and like and comment. Tell me what you think when I post stuff. Um, if you're like super into what's going on, um, you can support me on Patreon. And um, I do monthly studio visits and I sort of talk my way through the decisions I'm making and the work I'm doing, which is, you know, a lot more multifaceted than um, like just photographs like this. Um this thing that we didn't even scratch the surface yeah, today. Yeah, I mean, there's I have like pieces <laughs> in my studio that are behind me, hung on the wall, that are like these like tapestries. And if you're curious about that, I posted about it on Instagram recently. I love those. <clears throat> I like desperately wanted to talk about them, but we have so much more that we can talk <laughs> about in the future. Yeah, <laughs> but I I just wanted you to know that I love those. Thank you. I I'm still like on the fence about them. Like I can't decide if um they're cool or tacky. Mm. um but i think that's the good stuff you know i mean that's that's sort of being an artist in some capacity is just like not being super mm -hmm. sure what what's working yet um but that's also i digress but that's also in part because i've only made like one and maybe almost two pieces two tapestries so it's like how can you really have a sense of what's going on if you've only almost made two mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the main way just, you know, check out what I'm doing on the internets. Um, yeah, it, it costs you nothing to follow somebody on Twitch. I popped a little shout out there in the stream. So, um, if people are, people are there. They can, they can drop some follows. Hell yeah. Um, and yeah, just that, that interaction, um, I think is, I think is really powerful. Uh, something we, we come back to here on art brunch is, um, you know, opening yourself up and, and, and being, I think the phrase that we've whittled it down to is, is being a nerd for your friends Yeah. <laughs> um, on, on social media is, is what we kind of keep coming back to. Uh, if you're sensing, if you're sensing like a sensation of anxiety or fear around um, reaching, reaching out or, or commenting on somebody's photo, you're probably doing the right thing. Yeah. And at some point it'll go away. <laughs> yeah. And I like to kind of elaborate on that, like, um, I've, I'm a firm believer that there are no wrong answers, like in critique in particular. And mm -hmm. I think we can, um, we can sort of expand critique to basically, um, be any space where you're looking at something with another person and talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's something that I've worked really hard to like, um, deinstitutionalize my like two best friends with, because one's a computer scientist and one's in medical school, like they in when we first started down this path of me like you know i'm an artist and da, 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 and they would sort of like hesitate and like the more they spent time around me and the more i kind of like talked to them and sort of walked them through you know like how to look at art and how to think about art and they realized that like oh and i was actually talking to my good friend about this yesterday you know it's really just has more to do with careful looking and saying how you think what you think there's, there's not a wrong answer. Like my friend can be like, I don't like this piece and here's why. 
And there's no world where that is a right or a wrong answer. Mm -hmm. It's more just like, you know, deconstructing what's in front of you, carefully looking and sort of, you know, it, it can literally be as simple as like, well, I see that this is made out of plastic and mm -hmm. it is red. And like you, you, you're, you have entered into critique, critique, like we're here. Yeah. <laughs> and all of those things are, are important. Yeah. Like it, it being made out of plastic, if that's as far as you get, there are so many connotations. There's so many reasons why and why not something would be made out of plastic. Yeah. Yeah. Once you sort of like train yourself to be able to question a decision, you, you've officially entered into a meaningful critique. <laughs> Why does it matter that this is plastic? Well, it's a, it's a plastic sculpture, you, you know, and you, you just like, you, you go along and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I feel like I kind of understand why this person might've made this out of plastic. Mm -hmm. Or you don't. And that's a critique in itself. Yeah. And then you can be like, this artist <laughs> kind of sucks. Cause it seems like maybe they, they didn't, they didn't think about this as a decision actively in their practice. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's 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 where it gets into. Um, I think that careful looking, uh, something that I consider a lot is um, the methods that we're we're taught to um, understand art comes from a uh, a standard of appreciation, and it's it's easy to appreciate um, Caravaggio. <laughs> uh, like you can go there and you can appreciate the 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 painting um, and we know that we're supposed to appreciate it and actually it's really terrible at cultivating curiosity or allowing you to carefully look because it's the the painting is so well taken care of that you can't even enter you can't really even enter into the painting yeah um but the, there there there's so much so much work so much very very beautiful work that allows you into it um and i think there's definitely a whole genre of contemporary art that is all about the viewer now and all about cultivating that curiosity and cultivating that ability to carefully look. Um, and if you're in a contemporary art museum and you're careful looking doesn't get you anywhere, then um, something else is going on to consider. Yeah. And uh, this is maybe like kind of an interesting hot take to um, temper this idea that there are no right or wrong ideas in terms of like, critique and thinking about work um to some extent i do kind of believe that art is objective and not subjective mm. <laughs> which is like very much at odds of this concept of there being no right answers <laughs> mm. it's like this work is objectively this and like okay but how do i reconcile that with the idea that um you know there are no right or wrong answers and um, I don't know, you can grill me about that on my Twitch later today, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Are you streaming today? I think I'll probably stream tonight, yeah. Cool. Uh, what are you going to be streaming? Well, I think the main event is going to be, I'm going to play this game called Inside. Oh, okay. Because um, yeah, it looks really beautiful. Uh, and just like hang out. Nice. So, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's one of those things like, a big reason why I started streaming was um, one, because I, I've been on Twitch for years and I, I love video games. And so like the prospect of streaming made, made me feel like it felt like an excuse to play games. Mm. And if I can sort of like somehow do it in a meaningful way, that's even better. 
Um, and I, I realized like a couple of weeks ago that like I had all of the equipment I needed anyways, for the most part, <laughs> just because like being a photographer and like producing videos in the past and like, I'm working on producing more, like, I was like, I already have everything. Like, why am I not doing this already? Like, this is something that I've always wanted and loved the idea of. So there's that. But the other big part of it is like, um, I, I like the idea of there being this sort of pathway to me in, in terms of accessibility. So like if somebody comes in um, who like knows about the fact that I build cameras, um, they can come in and be like, hey, what's the deal? Like, you know, t can I ask you about this? And like, Yes, you can. And I will talk to you about it while I play this game. <laughs> nice. Or like, hey, I have this question about a piece you made. And I'd be like, yeah, let me pull it up. Let's talk about it. Like, yeah, I, I kind of like you're doing here on like a on a broader scale with like a large group of artists. I'm, I, I, I like the idea that um, I can sort of exercise a space where I can, you know, have my interests and do these activities and hang out with people and like give them an opportunity to share in those interests, but also um, on more of like an art surface or art, like art level, um, we can have that same kind of engagement and conversation and openness where people can sort of be like, hey, I this photo you made, I think it sucks and here's why. And like, be like, all right, let's talk about it. Yeah, like I, I wanna know why yeah. you hate my pictures. <laughs> yeah. So for all of you that hate Drew, um, definitely go follow <laughs> go follow him on Twitch and, and give him hell later today. Yeah, question all of my decisions. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that's that's a, a fun and interesting place to end the conversation. <laughs> um, I really appreciate you being here uh, today, and I look forward to doing this again with you in the future. Yeah. Because um, I think you got a, a really uh, a great perspective that I, I still want to definitely glean and learn and grow from. Um, uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll definitely link that up. And um, if you en enjoyed the uh, enjoyed the show today, if you've been watching and you want to see more of this, um, just give us a follow. It's really helpful, even if you don't like it and you're just feeling generous. Follow us <laughs> and then turn off your notifications. It's fine. Damn. <laughs> um, it's, it's helpful, uh, you know. Um, and other than that, you know, we have we have links all over the place. Um, I'll pop Drew's links back into the chat one more time. Definitely go give him a follow, uh, and on the on the various spaces, a lot of cool stuff um, going on on there. So Drew, thank you, thank you for spending your time with me today. Yeah, thank you. It's been super fun. <laughs> all right, we'll see y'all later. <laughs>